0: Nobody's Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Noel Badrian. Charles Dickens, 200th Anniversary Collection, Volume 2. Nobody's Story by Charles Dickens. He lived on the bank of a mighty river, broad and deep which was always silently rolling on to a vast undiscovered ocean it had rolled on ever since the world began it had changed its course sometimes and turned into new channels leaving its old ways dry and barren but it had ever been upon the flow and ever was to flow until time should be no more Against its strong, unfathomable stream, nothing made head. No living creature, no flower, no leaf, no particle of animate or inanimate existence ever strayed back from the undiscovered ocean. The tide of the river set resistlessly towards it, and the tide never stopped, any more than the earth stops in its circling around the sun. He lived in a busy place, and he worked very hard to live. He had no hope of ever being rich enough to live a month without hard work, but he was quite content, God knows, to labour with a cheerful will. He was one of an immense family, all of whose sons and daughters gained their daily bread by daily work, prolonged from their rising up betimes until their lying down at night. Beyond this destiny he had no prospect and he sought none. There was overmuch drumming, trumpeting, and speech-making in the neighbourhood where he dwelt, but he had nothing to do with that. Such clash and uproar came from the bigwig family. At the unaccountable proceedings of which race he marvelled much. They set up the strangest statues in iron, marble, bronze, and brass before his door, and darkened his house with the legs and tails of uncouth images of horses. He wondered what it all meant, smiled in a rough, good-humoured way he had, and kept at his hard work. The big-wig family, composed of all the stateliest people thereabouts, and all the noisiest, had undertaken to save him the trouble of thinking for himself, and to manage him and his affairs. Why, truly, said he, I have little time upon my hands, and if you will be so good as to take care of me, in return for the money I pay over, for the big big family were not above his money, I shall be relieved and much obliged, considering that you know best. Hence the drumming, trumpeting, and speech-making, and the ugly images of horses, which he was expected to fall down and worship i don't understand all this said he rubbing his furrowed brow confusedly but it has a meaning maybe if i could find it out it means returned the bigwig family suspecting something of what he said honor and glory in the highest to the highest merit oh said he and he was glad to hear that but when he looked among the images in iron marble bronze and brass he failed to find a rather meritorious countryman of his, once the son of a Warwickshire wool-dealer, or any single countryman whomsoever of that kind. He could find none of the men whose knowledge had rescued him and his children from terrific and disfiguring disease, whose boldness had raised his forefathers from the condition of serfs, whose wise fancy had opened a new and high existence to the humblest, whose skill had filled the working man's world with accumulated wonders, whereas he did find others whom he knew no good of, and even others whom he knew much ill of. Humph, said he, I don't quite understand it. So he went home and sat down by his fireside to get it out of his mind. Now his fireside was a bare one, all hemmed in by blackened streets but it was a precious place to him the hands of his wife were hardened with toil and she was old before her time but she was dear to him his children stunted in their growth bore traces of unwholesome nurture but they had beauty in his sight above all other things it was an earnest desire of this man's soul that his children should be taught if i am sometimes misled said he for want of knowledge at least let them know better and avoid my mistakes if it is hard to me to reap the harvest of pleasure and instruction that is stored in books let it be easier to them but the bigwig family broke out into violent family quarrels concerning what it was lawful to teach to this man's children some of the family insisted on such a thing being primary and indispensable above all other things and others of the family insisted on such another thing being primary and indispensable above all other things and the bigwig family rent into factions wrote pamphlets held convocations delivered charges orations and all variety of discourses impounded one another in courts lay and courts ecclesiastical threw dirt exchanged pummelings and fell together by the ears in unintelligible animosity meanwhile this man in his short evening snatches at his fireside saw the demon ignorance arise there and take his children to itself he saw his daughter perverted into a heavy slatternly drudge he saw his son go moping down the ways of low sensuality to brutality and crime he saw the dawning light of intelligence in the eyes of his babies so changing into cunning and suspicion that he could have rather wished them idiots i don't understand this any better said he but i think it cannot be right nay by the clouded heaven above me i protest against this as my wrong becoming peaceable again for his passion was usually short-lived and his nature kind he looked about him on his sundays and holidays and he saw how much monotony and weariness there was, and thence how drunkenness arose with all its train of ruin. Then he appealed to the bigwig family, and said, We are a labouring people, and I have a glimmering suspicion in me, that labouring people of whatever condition were made, by a higher intelligence than yours, as I poorly understand it, to be in need of mental refreshment and recreation see what we fall into when we rest without it come amuse me harmlessly show me something give me an escape but here the bigwig family fell into a state of uproar absolutely deafening when some few voices were faintly heard proposing to show him the wonders of the world the greatness of creation the mighty changes of time the workings of nature and the beauties of art to show him these things that is to say at any period of his life when he could look upon them there rose among the bigwigs such roaring and raving such pulpiting and petitioning such maunderings and memorializing such name-calling and dirt-throwing such a shrill wind of parliamentary questioning and feeble replying where i dare not waited on i would that the poor fellow stood aghast, staring wildly around. "'Have I provoked all this?' said he, with his hands to his affrighted ears, "'by what was meant to be an innocent request, plainly arising out of my familiar experience and the common knowledge of all men who choose to open their eyes. "'I don't understand, and I am not understood.' What is to come of such a state of things?" He was bending over his work, often asking himself the question, when the news began to spread that a pestilence had appeared among the labourers, and was slaying them by thousands. Going forth to look about him, he soon found this to be true. The dying and the dead were mingled in the close and tainted houses among which his life was passed new poison was distilled into the always murky always sickening air the robust and the weak old age and infancy the father and the mother all were stricken down alike what means of flight had he he remained there where he was and saw those who were dearest to him die a kind preacher came to him and would have said some prayers to soften his heart in his gloom but he replied oh what avails it missionary to come to me a man condemned to residence in this fitted place where every sense bestowed upon me for my delight becomes a torment and where every minute of my numbered days is new mire added to the heap under which i lie oppressed but give me my first glimpse of heaven through a little of its light and air give me pure water help me to be clean lighten this heavy atmosphere and heavy life in which our spirits sink and we become the indifferent and callous creatures you too often see us gently and kindly take the bodies of those who die among us out of the small room where we grow to be so familiar with the awful change that even its sanctity is lost to us and teacher then i will hear none knows better than you how willingly of him whose thoughts were so much with the poor and who had compassion for all human sorrow he was at work again solitary and sad when his master came and stood near to him dressed in black he also had suffered heavily his young wife, his beautiful and good young wife, was dead. So too his only child. Master, tis hard to bear, I know it, but be comforted. I would give you comfort if I could. The master thanked him from his heart, but said he, O oh, you laboring men, the calamity began among you, if you had but lived more healthily and decently i should not be the widowed and bereft mourner that i am this day master returned the other shaking his head i have begun to understand a little that most calamities will come from us as this one did and that none will stop at our poor doors until we are united with that great squabbling family yonder to do the things that are right We cannot live healthily and decently, unless they who undertook to manage us provide the means. We cannot be instructed, unless they will teach us. We cannot be rationally amused, unless they will amuse us. We cannot but have some false gods of our own, while they set up so many of theirs in all the public places. The Evil Consequences of Imperfect Instruction THE EVIL CONSEQUENCES OF PERNICIOUS NEGLECT, THE EVIL CONSEQUENCES OF UNNATURAL RESTRAINT AND THE DENIAL OF HUMANIZING ENJOYMENTS WILL ALL COME FROM US, AND NONE OF THEM WILL STOP WITH US. THEY WILL SPREAD FAR AND WIDE, THEY ALWAYS DO, THEY ALWAYS HAVE DONE, JUST LIKE THE PESTILENCE. I UNDERSTAND SO MUCH, I THINK, AT LAST but the master said again o you labouring men how seldom do we ever hear of you except in connection with some trouble master he replied i am nobody and little likely to be heard of nor yet much wanted to be heard of perhaps except when there is some trouble but it never begins with me and it never can end with me as sure as death it comes down to me and it goes up from me there was so much reason in what he said that the bigwig family getting wind of it and being horribly frightened by the late desolation resolved to unite with him to do the things that were right at all events so far as the said things were associated with the direct prevention humanly speaking of another pestilence but as their fear wore off which it soon began to do they resumed their falling out among themselves and did nothing consequently the scourge appeared again low down as before and spread avengingly upward as before and carried off vast numbers of the brawlers but not a man among them ever admitted if in the least degree he ever perceived that he had anything to do with it. So nobody lived and died in the old, old, old way. And this, in the main, is the whole of nobody's story. Had he no name, you ask? Perhaps it was Legion. It matters little what his name was. Let us call him Legion. If you were ever in the Belgian villages near the field of Waterloo, you will have seen, in some quiet little church, a monument erected by faithful companions in arms to the memory of Colonel A, Major B, Captains C, D, and E, Lieutenants F and G, Ensigns H, I, and J, seven non-commissioned officers, and one hundred and thirty rank and file who fell in the discharge of their duty on the memorable day. The story of nobody is the story of the rank and file of the earth. They bear their share of the battle, they have their part in the victory, they fall, they leave no name but in the mass. The march of the proudest of us leads to the dusty way by which they go oh let us think of them this year at the christmas fire and not forget them when it is burnt out end of nobody's story recording by noel Badrian, county offaly ireland